This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Carlson, Carlson, världens bästa Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, hoj här kommer Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, ingen faktiskt, ingen annan Carlson vill jag så bra som mig. Carlson, Carlson, Carlson scores! Carlson, Carlson, världens bästa Carlson. Yes, welcome everybody! To another episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast, the best fantasy hockey podcast in the world, hosted by two guys on air, Carlson and their keeper pools. I am your host, Elon Dubrowski, and back with me is my regular co-host. Great job, Scott Cullen, last week, but here we go. The fantasy hockey robot himself, back from sunny Florida, it's Brian Calm. Hello, Elon. Hello, everybody. I am full of vitamin E and ready to rock this show. So good to be back. I think we've got it in us to just pick up right where we left off, Elon, and let's see if that chemistry just regenerates. Okay, yeah, we got to shake off the Brian Rust and just get going here, (laughs) make a good show. I think we could do it because we've got a lot of source material to work with. This has been a crazy week. Every day, more and more injuries. Then we've got these trades going on. Obviously, anyone who's been following DauberHockey.com knows all about what's going on because as they present our show, they also present amazing content day in, day out, your daily ramblings. And, of course, all of the tools that we use to prepare the show over on Frozen Tools, which is also a Dauber Hockey property. I don't know if People knew that, but yeah, you got your line combination, starting goalies, player profile. So I'm just throwing it out there that we're proudly presented by DauberHockey.com. And if you want to be successful as you head into your fantasy playoffs, I would uh, maybe consider checking it out. You might, I don't think you're going to regret it. But no, who no one ever has. I don't regret it when I consult it like 300 times when preparing for the show. Yeah, of course. So there we go. That is that. And now we are going to get to the meat of the show, Brian. Uh, Like I said, a lot has gone down. Uh, Luckily for us, because this is like a day before the trade deadline. And so I'm sure a lot of what we say is going to be completely out of date. Someone's going to listen to the show and be like, hey, well, where's the Robin Leonard to Carolina talk? Hello. And I'm sorry, it hasn't happened yet. Maybe it won't. Maybe it will. But we'll have Ben and Lewis releasing a short shifts episode. I think they said on the last show, it was like a fun little mystery of like, when's the next episode going to be? It's like, if enough happens tomorrow then they'll release it tomorrow night and if not they'll do it on the regularly scheduled tuesday night so it's up to the nhl to force an early short shifts episode i'm waiting with bated breath i'm refreshing my feed elon every minute to see when that next short shifts episode drops i don't think it'll be before you hear this one but maybe shortly after 
Oh yeah, we'll be before this one. That would be weird. Okay, Brian, I don't know what you're talking about. You're still, you got a lot of sun right now. So I'll let you sit back for a bit and let me tell you about a crazy week that happened in Vancouver specifically. The Canucks have gone through a bit of a roller coaster. First, we had the news coming out that Brock Besser's rib injury is a lot more serious than the initial timeline indicated and he might be out for the whole season. So that sucks. But then the Canucks made a big splash. They acquired Tyler Toffoli from the Kings in exchange for Tim Schaller, Tyler Madden, and a couple of picks. Then they capped off this week leading into our podcast with an absolute shellacking of the Boston Bruins yesterday. Toffoli led the way, two goals and one assist in the 9-3 route. So, okay, let's look at this trade and this injury to Besser. The obvious big implication to me of this trade is that Tyler Toffoli becomes like a Brian Rust or a Victor Olofsson, you know, that type of free agent where you'll regret if you didn't add them when you had the chance. I think you need to add Tyler Toffoli right now. He's taken Besser's spot on the Pedersen-Miller line, and he's also taken Brock's spot on the top power play with Elias Pedersen, JT Miller, Bohorvat, Quinn Hughes. It's like the best spot you can be in in Vancouver. And Toffoli was already hot, you know, on LA before he came over. He's been taking a lot of shots. He's still only 45% owned in Yahoo. And to me, that means that 55% of leagues are clown leagues at the moment. These are not real competitive leagues if Tyler Toffoli is a free agent. So Brian, are you with me that anyone listening right now that's in a league where Tyler Toffoli might be a free agent, they need to pause the podcast Add to Foley. Don't don't even listen to Brian's response. You have to do this right now because uh, I I just know he's going to agree with me. How can you not? Well, that's rude. What if someone goes out, wastes a move on adding Tyler to Foley, and then comes back and presses play? And I'm like, actually, Tyler to Foley sucks, and you shouldn't own him. Which is not what I'm going to say. So congratulations for going and getting him on your roster if you were able to. Yeah, I'm this Rust and Olsen comparison. I don't even know if that's necessary. We don't even have to leave Vancouver to say maybe to Foley can be like another JT. Miller, right? Uh, Elias Pedersen playing with two JT Millers or two Tyler Toffoli's, however you want to slice it. Uh, but Toffoli actually stands above guys like Rustin Olofsson in one very noticeable way, and that's that he is a massive volume shooter. Last season, Toffoli ranked 14th amongst all forwards, all forwards in five on five shot attempts per 60 minutes. He was top 20 in shots per 60 minutes. But of all the players in Toffoli's shot taking stratosphere, Toffoli had by far the most awful and disastrous shooting percentage. He scored on fewer than 3.5% of his shots last year at 5-on-5, which is just garbage. Like, that is even worse than defensemen shoot, and it is not the way Toffoli has shot in his career. It's about half his usual career mark, and at most half of what his big shooting peers were converting at. Everybody, aside from Toffoli, and actually, funny enough, Jason Zucker, were was shooting above 7% and more likely above 10% at 5-on-5. So Toffoli was really, really snake-bitten last season, even though he kept the shot volume up. So then this season, we were really scratching our heads because uh, he stopped shooting. It was really weird. He wasn't having the season we'd hoped for. It began with this drop in shot volume where Toffoli was averaging just above two shots per game at the midway point. But he'd already started turning that around in December, and now he's put up 84 shots in 22 games since Christmas, and Toffoli's got nine shots in two games as a Canuck. So, uh, you know, this is a really good thing for Tyler Toffoli to finally be in a place where he can get consistent top line, top power play deployment if 
that is what he gets, and I'm hoping it is. It's something we've been hoping for him in L.A. for a while, and when he did get it, he didn't quite take advantage of it. I'm hoping that Vancouver gives him a fresh change of scenery, a place where he can really reach the upside we thought he once had to be a 25-30 goal scorer. If we can be so bold as to hope Toffoli converts back at his career average 10% in all situations, and Toffoli also averages four shots per game the rest of the way, That would be like 10 or 11 goals from here to the end of the season, which is like a goal every other game, which would be so great. Plus, he'd get those assists playing with Miller and Pedersen on the top line and on the top power play. So yes, Elon, I am as excited about you as this change of scenery for Tyler Toffoli. This is one of those trade deadline moves that really does bump up a player's value. Yeah, like, I mean, the only reason to say it doesn't bump his value up so, so much is because he was already actually on a nice run with LA before. You probably already should have already had him on your radar, but now it's a no-brainer. You get him. Sure, playing with Kopitar is good, but it seems like playing with these Canucks is a lot better. Uh, Vancouver scores a lot more than LA. I'm scrambling to come up. Usually, you know, Brian, a little behind the scenes here with the podcast, how the sausage is made. Usually I bring up a player or some news item, then I try to look at some other players to talk about on the team. Uh, the, I can't think of anything else really to say about the Canucks that'll be interesting. This seems like a team that's going to be really easy to peg fantasy-wise for the rest of the season. Like, we've got all these guys on the top power play that I mentioned. They're gold. You want them all. Uh, Jacob Markstrom is going to see a ton of rubber down the stretch. He seems to be up for it. Like, I'm not too concerned about him. You never know with goalies, but Markstrom seems like one of the top options left. Uh, We've got, you know, Alex Edler, Tanner Pearson. They make for decent depth options that, you know, you don't need to rush to add or own the rest of the way. Edler's actually finally had a couple of games with points recently. Uh, But I think it's pretty much that simple. I can't think of anything interesting to say about Vancouver. For a while, we were like talking about, oh, is Jake Vertanen going to hold some value while he's on the top line. That's done. It seems like we're just set and ready to go rest of the way. Yeah, totally. I don't think anything else really changes here just because Besser's out to Foley's in and that's about it. I guess it puts a bit of a ceiling on what we can expect from, I don't know, Tanner Pearson. Like he's not going to get that top line job. Yeah. Okay. And then let's go to the Kings side, Tanner Pearson's former team, as well as Toffoli's former team. And I think the big impact here is uh, Dustin Brown is the beneficiary because he's back on the top line in power play with Kopitar. There were times when Toffoli was in that spot and Brown was on like the second line in the second power play playing with like, Jeff Carter or something. Uh, Brown scored two goals on Tuesday at Winnipeg. That was the first game after Toffoli left. Uh, then no points, but five shots over his last couple of games. So obviously Dustin Brown isn't going to be a huge impact guy, but I'd be looking at him as a solid late season ad in like a deepish league where he's you know, probably uh, likely available. Uh, so, Brian, what do you think? Like, we actually had a question here uh, in our chat room from, I think it was, uh, I don't remember right now, Steve, I think. And he said, who's a good guy to stream for the rest of the season or for right now? I think Dustin Brown, depending on how deep your league is, he's someone that jumps out at me that's going to finally uh, get that good deployment that he's had for so, you know, for the last couple of years. He's been pretty great because he's been playing with Kopitar this year. It hasn't really worked out, but I can't see why he won't stick with that good deployment the rest of the way. Sure. Unfortunately for Dustin Brown, he hasn't taken a whole lot advantage of having good deployment this year. His power play one time was there for like the first 30 games or so. And he was also playing on the top line with Kopitar for like his first 40 games of the year. Uh, Then since he came back from an injury, Brown has been moving uh, around the lineup a little bit more. And he actually had a nice little run elsewhere in the lineup. It's funny because I still expect Dustin Brown to be a good hockey player, a good fantasy own, especially if he can throw a couple shots, a couple hits on the score sheet. He just has not really put it all together this year for reasons that I don't totally understand. And I was also looking to see, is it because he and Kopitar haven't played enough together? Well, I just squashed that. In fact, just one of Brown's last eight points at five on five came with Kopitar also registering a point up until that pair of goals that Brown scored against Winnipeg, both of which Kopitar assisted on. 
so I, I don't really see... I don't know why Brown and Kopitar aren't producing together, even though they've had the opportunity. Uh, but I still believe that they can. I like Dustin Brown as a free agent who could potentially catch a run and get going. I don't think he's done as a player the way his numbers are indicating so far this year. And it's really good news for him with Toffoli gone. There's one less player in his way on the LA depth chart. So after trashing Dustin Brown's season a whole lot, the moral in my story is that I don't think he's as bad as he's looked. And he is absolutely worth the stream. He had a neat little run not so long ago. Uh, Unfortunately, it fizzled. I thought he was just going to take off from there. Didn't, but now he's got a fresh chance. Yeah, I don't see him necessarily like taking off, but you know, in the, a league like the Cuckupful, the Keeping Carlson Ultra Patriot Fantasy League, where there's 14 teams and 18 players owned per team, I think he should be owned there. And then, you know, everyone has to kind of figure it out for their own league if he beats that threshold. Uh, there's another guy in LA that I saw a percentage ownership spike on. And then we started getting tweets asking, like, should I drop like some pretty big name players for Gabriel Velarde? And I had to be like, wait, who? Who's this guy? Then I saw, okay, I guess it makes sense because Velarde got called up after the Toffoli trade and he put up a goal and an assist in his first game versus Florida on Thursday. And so now, you know, he's played another game, by the way, versus the Avalanche. So all the people who jumped on him after that good game chasing points uh, didn't work out because he had no points and only one shot versus Fransuz and the Avs. Uh, Villardi's been playing with Martin Furk and Adrian Kempe. He's been getting a bit of power play two time. Uh, LA's playing tonight at 10 p.m. Right now it's like 8 p.m. Eastern time, so we haven't seen that game yet. So we'll see what he does. But is there anything here, in your opinion, Brian, for Gabriel Villardi? Or are we just kind of getting a sneak peek of someone who may be on our radars for next season. First off, I thought the question was going to be, who's Gabriel Velarde? So I was all ready to answer that question. For anyone who doesn't know, 20 years old, he was picked 11th overall in 2017. Two guys picked after him you might be familiar with. Martin Nietzsche was picked 12th, one spot behind Velarde, and Nick Suzuki was picked next at 13th. So the guys in Velarde's draft class could be considered ready to make an impact. Some of them already are. This is Velarde's first year, though, as a full-time pro. It's actually technically his second, but the first year he missed entirely because of a back injury. So he's finally getting into games this season and has 25 points in 32 AHL games with the Ontario reign of the AHL. Uh, And then... He got called up to the big club, scored 10 seconds into his debut, which I think is what got everyone so excited about Velarde. He had a really great junior career. You could tell anytime he was on the ice. I saw a 67s game where I think they were playing Kingston was Velarde's team, and uh, he looked really good. You were always drawn to him when he was on the ice. We'll see what that translates to in the NHL. It, this season, it's hard to imagine a 20-year-old rookie coming in and making a huge impact in the last 20 games of the regular season, especially with the dearth of talent surrounding him in LA. He's not playing with a whole lot of pieces who could really elevate him. So count me amongst the people who think this is just a good time to get a look at Gabe Velarde, and maybe next year he can have a season like a Nietzsche's or a Suzuki. Yeah, okay. I think I definitely agree with you there. Obviously, if we see a line combination change and Velarde's play with Kopitar, I'll reassess. But for now, I'm not that interested. We've got a celebrity here in the chat, Louis Ezekiel from Short Shifts. And he's telling us that Velarde went for $13 of fab money in the Ottawa division of the Cuckupful. So that's probably a lot of gobbledygook for a lot of people listening. It just means that everyone has $100 to spend throughout the year of fake money to put towards free agents. And that's a big chunk of change to go to Velarde. And I wouldn't be surprised to see that person back in free agency in, in a week or so. I can report that there was one other bid on Velarde, and it was by Lewis for $0. Yeah, so that's, yeah. a, that's a lot of fab wasted. 
For sure. But it's you never know what other people are going to bid. That's what makes it so tricky. Uh, so let's make our next stop here in all the craziness that's gone on in the past week. Let's stop in Colorado, where Miko Rantanen joins Kadri and Grubauer on the shelf. So really rough stretch of luck for the Colorado Avalanche and for Brian Com, my co-host, because you have Miko Rantanen in the couple. You're fighting for the playoffs. I'm so sorry, Brian. I, I feel so bad. You had a really rough vacation when, while you were gone. A lot of your players got injured. <laughs> they all went on their own little vacations to the injured reserve. I don't. I'm. You're giving me the licensed event. I think it's boring for anyone to hear, but I think I've dropped uh, something like four players. Who we have four spots for the IR in the cupful, and I have dropped four players. Even because those spots are full, I've got Giordano, Clefbaum, Rontanen, and Kadri in them. And I've parted with all the, like, I've had to choose, which I dropped Linus Allmark, I dropped Oliver Bjorkstrand, and guess what, Elon, I just got a new injury, Eric Cernak in Tampa is now day-to-day, so my replacements are now getting injured. Uh, related to that news, I don't know, this is definitely not where you were going, but uh, Zach Bogosian, live, just signed a contract with the Tampa Bay Lightning. Oh, so there you go. So uh, completely not fantasy relevant, but interesting to know. Uh, maybe it's relevant for the Lightning, who are going to try to let in less than nine goals or whatever it was in their next game. I think so. Uh, maybe hopefully that's good news for Vasilevsky. I'm not too worried anyways. I don't think it really impacts him one way or the other. Can you believe, though, some Zach Bogosian trivia? He has never played a playoff game. Okay, well, he's definitely going to get his chance this year if he can stay healthy and make it into the roster. Okay, so we were in Colorado. Let's talk about Rantanen and his injury. We've talked a lot about the Avs having an amazing playoff schedule in a lot of fantasy leagues. A lot of people have been adding Colorado players specifically because they have two weeks in a row in a lot of people's fantasy playoffs where they play Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Sunday, which is the best schedule you could have in a week. So it's such an amazing schedule. People have been loading up on their Avs, and now all of a sudden, like, all these people who have invested in Avalanche players like Rantanen and Kadri and Grubauer kind of getting burned right now. So Ben and Lewis already dug into the Rantanen injury. They noted that Andre Burakovsky jumped to the top line and top power play with McKinnon and Landis Goggins was on a short shifts episode from the past week. So obviously Burakovsky seems to me like a Toffoli, right? Like a must add. Like, yeah, he missed yesterday's 2-1 overtime win over the Kings with an illness. He should hopefully be back for Wednesday's game versus Buffalo. And you got to imagine that if you could get a player playing on the top line and power play with Rantanen, not Ranson, unfortunately, but Landeskog and McKinnon, you gotta get him. And Burkowski's already been having a great year, like an even better season overall than Toffoli. So he's 57% owned. I think you're also in a clown league if Burkowski is available. Totally. And we've been on this for a little while now, right? About owning Burkowski. He's up to 20 points in 17 games since the new year. And many of them came without the top line, top power play opportunity he's got now, which doesn't mean I think he'll put up better numbers than that. In fact, I think his pace of 20 points in 17 games is is fairly unsustainable. But I think he can approach being a point per game player the rest of the season if he can hang on to the top line, top power player, I should say for as long as he hangs on to that, because I cannot come to terms with the fact, with the possibility that Rantanen won't be back within like the next four hours. I need right. him. <laughs> well, uh, the good news is uh, originally they said it was going to be a lot worse than it is. So now it's weeks, but not like months. So maybe we'll get him back at some point in the next couple of weeks at best. Uh, so obviously Burakovsky is probably not available to you if you're in a serious league. Maybe someone you could look at though is Valerie Nichushkin, who was seeing some power play one time recently. Though yesterday with Burakovsky out though, lines got shaken up. We had McKinnon, Landeskog, Jost, JT Comfer, and then of course Kale McCarr manning the top unit. So that was kind of weird. Eunice Donskoy was on the top line with McKinnon and Ranson, and again because Burakovsky was sick. Though before that illness, it was Donskoy 
Lavoie playing with Comfort and Nishushkin on the second line. So I'm going to assume we're going to go back to what's been going on before the Burakovsky illness. So Brian, do any of these line two Avs, I'm talking about JT Comfort, Valerie Nishushkin, who might be a power play one guy, and Eunice Donskoy, are any of these guys interesting to you? Because again, like I said, Colorado does have that really good playoff schedule. So maybe even if there's another player that you like a little better, you might still want to grab the Colorado guy because you're going to get more games out of him in a critical week for you. So yeah. Does the streamagami make you at all ready to jump on Comfort, Nishushkin, or Donskoy in a deeper league? I have Valerie Nishushkin on my roster, and I, I need him. I need that depth. There aren't too many other options, but I would suggest of that group, he's the one you go out and consider, especially because Nishushkin played a season-high 20 minutes and 41 seconds against LA Saturday night. Actually, make that a career high of 20 minutes and 41 seconds for Natushkin on Saturday night. Do you know that he hadn't surpassed the 20-minute mark in his first 278 NHL games? He'd barely seen above 19 minutes. So this was like, he he blew his previous career high time on ice out of the water. And I love that Natushkin is getting this other chance. And so that makes him a good example of a guy, as you suggested, Elon, to stash away for your playoff run, who's not a guarantee to deliver, but his schedule plus his role probably puts him ahead of a lot of the streaming options who will be available to you if you wait for your playoff week to roll around. So why not get on that now? Go get Nachushkin. I'm a little less sold on Donskoy and a lot less sold on Comfer. Yeah, for sure. And also, uh, there are rumors. I don't like to get too deep into these rumors because you never know, but apparently J.G. Pajot might get traded to the Avalanche so or whatever maybe they might trade for some second line center to replace Kadri which would mean Comfort would go to the bottom six I saw a tweet from Chris Stevenson the Sens beat writer at The Athletic and the tweet was Peugeot on the ice for Sens warm-up and it's just that that time of year right like we it's not not about injury it's just who is actually showing up to play and it's just the warm-up right it hasn't started the game yet just he's on the ice for warm-up so everyone knows has not been traded yet what a fun time of year it is fun. I don't know if you're being sarcastic or not. I, I kind of like it. It is fun. Oh, okay, good. Yeah, I agree. Uh, especially like if you're a fantasy player, right? Like maybe some people like the other parts of the year more like opening night or, or the playoffs, which are, which are also fun for fantasy reasons, for different reasons. But yeah, this is always an exciting time where you get to find out if any of the players that you've been banking on, hoping they'll get better, or you've, you're disappointed because all of a sudden they get traded to a worse situation. <coughs> uh, Blake Coleman, uh, for example. So it's exciting and also stressful and frustrating. Uh, but I, of course, the most stressful and frustrating thing is an injury. And like I said, Philip Grubauer is still out, uh, still without a timeline for when he'll be back. Meanwhile, Pavel Francouz has played three straight games this week, including back-to-back wins versus Anaheim and LA on Friday and Saturday. So you got to imagine Francouz becomes one of the top goalies to own at this point for as long as Grubauer is hurt, right? Like he's been playing well. He's on a good team. Like it seems like he's going to get all the starts. So it's like all three of the things that make me want to have a goalie. We've been getting a lot of tweets over the past week asking if people should drop like I'm a lot of tweets. They're like, uh, Francis is available. Should I drop? I've seen Bobrovsky, Jari, Leonard, Varlamov, Murray, Saros, Merzlikens, all been thrown out there as guys. People are wondering if they should drop that player for Francis. I've even seen people considering dropping Frederick Anderson, which starting to make sense, right? Similar to Bobrovsky, right? It seems like unthinkable considering these are people that were drafted really high going into the year. And now, yeah, I'll be honest. I'd rather have Francis next week than Frederick Anderson. Obviously, the risk here is that Grubauer could come back at some point and maybe Anderson settles in and all of a sudden you have a backup goalie when you could have had a starter on a, well, what should be a good team, didn't look like it yesterday. So well, what's your take? Like, well, I don't really know what advice to give because it's so hard to predict goalies. All I know is I really like uh, Francis right now and I'm happy I got him in a couple of my leagues. 
Well, you said it, Elon, when you're just rhyming off the three boxes that Francis ticks. He's a 927 on the air. He's playing on a team that gives him great run support. And what was, oh, he's going to have a workhorse workload the rest of the way in all likelihood. We say this not knowing what's happening on the trade deadline yet, because I wonder if the Avalanche do go looking for someone to take one of every three or four starts from Francis, especially if they're going to make a playoff run and they're not going to have Grubauer around for it, which we have no idea yet, but maybe they don't want to run him into the ground just yet. And uh, in my mind, I'm like, oh, wouldn't it be fun to see Craig Anderson make his return to Colorado? But I guess I'm thinking in the wrong direction because trade deadline is not predictable and it's probably over by the time you're listening to this. Just keep in mind uh, for Francis that we still don't actually know what the deal is with Grubauer, so you may not want to drop a goalie who could be more help to you in your playoff matchups if Grubauer is healthy enough to return in the next, I don't know, two, three weeks. Uh, So just make sure you're balancing the short-term gain versus the long-term loss of starts if you do drop someone like Bobrovsky for Francis. Yeah, it's just so hard to hold someone like Bobrovsky because he's been so bad. But yeah, you're weighing one way or the other. The nice thing is because of this playoff schedule, you can hold your two goalies and add Francouz and probably get all of their games for the week because your main goalies are going to play Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday. And then Francouz is going to get the Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Sunday. So if volume helps, then drop a skater for Francouz. Like, get him in. I, I, you got to figure out a way. Tweet at us at Keeping Carlson. I guess some of these people already have. And it has been tough, especially for a goalie like, you know, Varlamov. He's just playing really well. Like, I don't, I'm not going to recommend to drop him. But but someone like Elvis Merzlikens, for example, uh, we'll get to Columbus in a little bit. But at this point, I would make that swap easily. Uh, so, okay, tweet at us. We'll try to help you out. Or even better, join our Facebook group and we can all try to figure out together what to do with all these goalies while we deal with these injuries and trades and everything going on in the league. Uh, so, Brian... If you don't mind, let's take a break from recapping all this craziness from the past week to thank a sponsor for this week's episode. And those are some new friends of the podcast from Roman. Uh, So, Brian, if you were to guess, on average, how many days people in the U.S. have to wait to see a doctor, what would you say? What would you say? Throw out a number. Well, I should hope it's not very long, Elon, if somebody needs to see a doctor quickly about uh, a pressing and important issue for them. Yeah, well, guess what, Brian? Unfortunately, that's not the case. Americans have to wait around 29 days to see a doctor in major U.S. cities. If you're dealing with a condition like erectile dysfunction, you want treatment ASAP. And that's why our friends at Roman have spent years building a digital platform that can connect you to a doctor licensed in your state, all from the comfort of your home. Roman makes it convenient to get treatment you need on your schedule. This isn't like when you have Darcy Kemper on your fantasy team and he's in your IR and then you see news saying like, okay, he's going to be back like any day now. Then all of a sudden, oh no, there's been a setback. Actually, you might have to wait another couple of weeks. Like, no, None of that. You, they're going to get to you on your schedule. You're going to be able to get the treatment you need right away. You grab your phone or computer, complete a free online visit, and you'll hear back from a U.S. licensed physician within 24 hours. Can't beat that. This is like when Shea Weber got injured and we thought it was going to take a long time for him to come back and then he came back like right away. That's what you're getting from Roman, okay? And if the doctor decides the treatment is right for you, Roman's pharmacy can ship your medication to you with free two-day shipping. That's right. You also get free unlimited follow-ups with your doctor anytime you have questions or want to adjust your treatment plan. With Roman, there are no commitments and you could cancel anytime. So if you're struggling with ED, go to getroman.com slash carlson as in Eric Carlson, not John Carlson. So getroman.com slash K-A-R-L-S-S-O-N for a free online visit and free two-day shipping. Wow, that's amazing, Elon. Again, that's getroman.com slash Carlson, as in Eric, for a free online visit and free two-day shipping. 
Okay, so thank you so much for supporting the show, Roman, and thank you to all the listeners who can support us by checking that out. Okay, so Brian, let's get back to all the stuff that went on last week, and we were talking about goalie injuries with Grubauer. Well, I guess the real crazy goalie injuries happened in Carolina yesterday, as both James Reimer, who started the game, and Petr Mrazek, they both got hurt in the game versus the Leafs, leading to 42-year-old emergency goalie David Ayers coming in the net and securing the 6-3 win, and then Leafs Twitter burned to the ground and David Ayers is like a national hero in Carolina. It's a really fun story. But it's still kind of not a great story for the Carolina Hurricanes because all of a sudden they're in need of like two goalies to fill these two spots. Like apparently Reimer's going to be out long term and Morazic we don't know yet. Like it looks like the news isn't good. Uh, so the obvious immediate options to the Hurricanes and to fantasy owners if they want to pick up one of these goalies are Alex Nedeljkovic and Anton Forsberg who have both been tending twine for Charlotte of the AHL and they both got called up today. If you recall... Brian, we pegged Nadjelkovic as a potential Binnington coming into the season. I think in our almanac, we were wondering who's going to be the goalie that doesn't even start with his team and by the end of the year could end up being the starting goalie and a big fantasy impactful player. We guess that it could be Nadjelkovic. Uh, hasn't happened yet. Maybe it's Igor Shestjorkin, I think, is the obvious answer at this point. We'll get to him in a little bit. But now we'll see what maybe Alex Ned can do, assuming Carolina doesn't trade for a goalie before the time you're listening to this podcast. And I think we've got him as a starting goalie. Uh, so he was the Canes' second round pick in 2004. He's currently 15-10-2 with a 9.05 save percentage in the AHL this season. Uh, for the record, Anton Forsberg has put up similar numbers in the 27 games he's played so far. But I think the sense I get is that Alex Nedeljkovic would be the starter. Uh, so, of course, like I said, another option is Carolina trades for a goalie at the deadline. Like, lots of names have been thrown out, including UFAs, Robin Leonard and Craig Anderson. I know, Brian, you were saying Anderson to Carolina or to Colorado. Now, maybe he could also go to Carolina. So, Brian, with the limited information we have now, if someone is listening to this early Monday morning and no trades have happened yet, like, would you be rushing out to grab Nijelkovic if you need a goalie or even if you don't, but you're interested in a goalie who could be good, even though you don't know what's going to happen? Or do you see it as unlikely that he'll end up being worth it? And you might as well wait and see. I don't know. I'd be rushing to go grab Nadelkovich. It's wild enough that the Canes lost two goalies in a single game. It would be even wilder if both those goalies, Reimer and Morazic, are out for a substantial length of time. And now we've seen that Carolina has called up two goalies, both Nadelkovich and Anton Forsberg. I feel like Nadelkovich is going to be the one who gets first crack, and I wouldn't mind spot starting him to see how it goes. I imagine Carolina is open to giving him a look before going out and spending assets on someone like Craig Anderson, although time is of the essence. They don't really have a chance, so they're just looking at what they already have in their system and making a snap decision probably tonight or tomorrow afternoon, uh, that being Monday afternoon, to figure out what to do. Uh, Nadelkovich, his career record is very short, as you mentioned. Ilani was a second-round pick back in 2014. Now he's 20 four years old and has just 90 NHL minutes to his credit, which includes one start in 2018-19 where he stopped 22 of 24 sh- shots for the win. This year in AHL Charlotte, Aned has a 905 save percentage, which is identical to Anton Forsberg's 905 save percentage in AHL Charlotte. Uh, so we'll see, right? I don't know exactly what's going to happen at the trade deadline and how long uh, these guys are going to be worth looking at. If the Canes don't add a goalie, I'm interested in Nedeljkovic. They're a good team. They won with an emergency backup goalie. I feel like they could probably win with Nedeljkovic or Forsberg, too. Um, Of course, if they are able to acquire 
Robin Lehner or something. That would be incredible. Any team that can add Robin Lehner to a playoff contending team right now would be amazing. How often do we see a top goalie in the league moved at the deadline? Like, does that ever happen? I remember Ottawa getting Tom Barrasso all those years back when they couldn't find reliable goaltending and he came in and nothing good happened. Then Dwayne Rolison to Edmonton was another big one uh, for their cup run back in the mid-aughts. But aside from that... I don't think there's... I can think of one. Okay. Uh, I think I recall Ryan Miller went from the Sabres to, I think it was St. Louis one year, and we thought that this was going to be huge for Ryan Miller, because finally he'd be on a good team that would win, and I think it didn't work out that well. Like, he didn't even do that well, so... Yeah. Yeah, that was when the Blues always just seemed to be short of goalie, and Ryan Miller did not work out for them. Uh, I think it was the same trade deadline that Roberto Luongo was traded to the Panthers for Jacob Markstrom, but I don't feel like the Panthers were really in the playoff hunt that okay, year. Okay, well, whatever. There hasn't A trade hasn't even happened yet, so we'll see what happens. Obviously, you really love Robin Leonard, and if he gets traded, that's good for him, and it's also good for Corey Crawford, of course, because then both of them could become starters on their respective teams. But we're talking about Carolina here, so speaking of the Canes, I should mention the top line of Ajo, Sveshnikov, and Teravine. If people haven't been noticing, that's been the top line for a little bit now. They had a great game versus the Leafs yesterday. As expected, these three guys are all great. Uh, Jacob Slavin continues to hold that top power play spot. Should be owned in most leagues at this point. I'm not going to bring him up again. I guess one name that's been jumping on the score sheet a lot lately is someone you actually mentioned a little while ago. Uh, Martin Nichas, who's a uh, one goal, one assist yesterday, brought him to four goals and three assists in his last nine games. So seven points in the last nine games. Not a bad person to have added a few weeks ago if you had the chance. Any reason to expect Nichas to produce at this higher clip rest of season? than he's been doing so far up until this point. Like, he's on a line with Howla and Niederreiter, so it's not the worst line mates. Obviously, we know that Nietzsche's has a lot of upside, like a high pedigree. So do you think he's someone that people can look at as a nice streamer moving forward, maybe someone that can help in their fantasy playoffs? Nietzsche's has four goals on 17 shots to be making this a nice little run for him, which is obviously not a sustainable way to score. But I actually kind of really like this line he's on with Howla and Niederreiter. All these guys could use a second chance this season or a third chance or a fourth chance. And I'm curious to see what they can all make of it together. But I will keep my expectations tempered uh, about how well they're going to be able to do and how helpful they'll be. But I think each of them are worth more of a stream than like Jordan Stahl or even Justin Williams, right? What do you think? Yeah, I definitely agree with you. Uh, Justin Williams is still on the top power play, but he hasn't done anything with it Nothing. yet. So I'm not going to expect much, maybe a power play assist every now and then. No, right now I would just go with Nietzsche's because he's the one producing. Can I just also say something about Jacob Slavin? I want to make sure that people know he has had a lot of opportunity on that top power play and has not done a whole lot with it. He has three power play points in 14 games since taking the helm on the top unit. And Slavin has just one power play point in his last 10 games. So he's not even making that much of this amazing opportunity. His five-on-five production, though, has definitely taken off. Slavin has seven points in his last 12 games, and that makes him someone to keep holding. But just beware that if that five-on-five scoring, which isn't entirely sustainable, if that does fall off without a pickup in his power play scoring, you may find yourself snoozing on Jacob Slavin the way you would be on a top power play quarterback in, uh, like, the guys in Chicago we've talked about, or Arizona, or Long Island. So just, just be careful. Keep a close eye on him. I don't think he's an automatic hold the rest of the way. 
I don't know. I disagree. Like, the way you're saying, oh, if his even strength scoring slows down, but also you can say if his power play scoring increases, he gets even more valuable, right? So I, I obviously could go either way. I like a guy on the top power play with Svechnikov and Aho and Tara Vine, and he's in a great spot. I think as long as he's in that spot, he always has a chance to produce, plus he's shown that he can give you something at even strength. He's not like a ghost bear where he only produced on the power play because he barely even saw even strength time back when he was fantasy relevant. So I don't know. I'm not as down on him as you. I, I like Jacob Slavin. You clearly don't like him. You're like I'm, Ben and Lewis, who I asked, uh, you know, someone asked about Slavin versus Darnell Nurse, and then everyone laughed at me when I said, oh, maybe Slavin, which maybe I'll back up on that one. I would but... go Nurse for sure. I don't, I, I, I guess I'm expressing skepticism on Slavin. He's not someone who has an offensive pedigree, and he finds himself in that top power play spot just de facto. There's no other competition, I guess, because Jake Gardner has not earned a shot or whatever. But uh, I think it's, I think it's important for people to know that w- although he's looked if you just look at his scoring over this last little while, it's looked like he's taken advantage of this opportunity. He has not been able to yet. Also, trade alert, the Washington Capitals have acquired Ilya Kovalchuk for a <gasps> third round pick. Elon, what's your immediate express take on this? You know, it's funny because I guess this is a live show to the people watching, like the patrons. And thank you so much to the support of the patrons uh, joining us. But like, it's not a live show to the people listening tomorrow. Like, this isn't breaking news. So we could probably finish talking about Carolina and then talk about this new trade. But that's cool. I guess that Kovalchuk, is he going to bump someone? My, my first concern is I don't see a spot for him to bump anyone from the top six. But also I think like maybe he doesn't need to be a top six guy. Maybe he plays on the third line with Lars Eller. And all of a sudden now they've got three solid lines. Uh, maybe also the top power play does he bump like a kuznetsov or verana from that fourth forward spot so i'd be very interested to see how kovalchuk fits in there interesting i like it good job Yeah, i would love to see him play with ovechkin wouldn't that be fun ovechkin played with kuznetsov in the caps most recent game so throw kovalchuk on that line of course he'd be bumping tom wilson off but you know how much of a loss i think that'd be uh that would be a lot of fun i'd watch those three russians play together Okay, that's actually very interesting. And yeah, maybe this is a time to be concerned about Tom Wilson, though he's been having a good year. Washington's been doing well, so I don't see why they're going to mess with a winning formula. I feel like this seems like a depth move to me. Yeah, I think that's probably the most likely scenario. Tom Wilson, by the way, has been doing really well lately. In his last five games, he not only has 31 hits, he also has four goals on a boatload of shots. I'm trying to do the mental math as we record on 23 shots in his last five games, six games. So uh, Tom Wilson, really crushing it. Way to go. Yeah, Brian, this is the sound of Brian just realizing three years too late that Tom Wilson's really good at hockey. Uh, Okay, so I did mention again the Slavin versus Darnell Nurse conversation. It was triggered, of course, because Oscar Clefbaum is injured on Edmonton, which sucks. Probably we should have seen this coming, right? Because Clefbaum doesn't play full NHL seasons. That's just not how he's made. It's been a great run so far, but it had to end at some point. Here it is. Hopefully he won't be out for too, too long. Uh, no points for Nurse in his two games since taking over on the top power play for Clefbaum, but he's had four shots in each of those games. He's seen huge increases in his time on ice. He's probably already owned in most leagues, especially in Bangers League, so we don't have much to say about this, fantasy-wise. But uh, Ben, like Ben mentioned, that maybe Evan Bouchard could get a crack at running the top power play but Bouchard got called up he didn't play and then he got sent back down so I feel like there's not not much to analyze here like Darnell Nurse obviously you want him and definitely pause the podcast and get him if you can but you probably can't 
Agreed. And Evan Bouchard, I think I saw when he was called up, they were just going to sort of use him as a seventh defenseman should someone get injured or not be capable of handling whatever ice time they were going to be offered. Uh, Then he'd get in, but I don't think he's being brought in to be a power play one quarterback. Yeah, and, like, the big fantasy storyline to me in Edmonton, like, the thing I'm curious about how it's going to play out is that Connor McDavid is returning today. That's the plan versus L.A. Unfortunately, by the time you listen to this, uh, listener, you'll know what happened. Uh, But this game hasn't happened for us yet. And I'm really curious to know what's going to happen to Kyler Yamamoto. Is he going to hold a spot on the top power play? He's been doing so well. But, you know, he wasn't there before McDavid got injured. It's it's like Alex Chiasson who keeps on holding that spot. I guess he has a specific role on the power play that no one else can do on Edmonton. So I don't know. I could definitely see it happening that Yamamoto gets bumped uh, but that would be a bummer because his two assists on Friday brought him the 20 points in 20 games on the season going into today he's been amazing two of those points uh, coming recently on the power play so I guess here's my two questions for you Brian about Yamamoto first of all is this run that he's on currently for real? Like, are we looking at a fantasy stud for the rest of the season? Like, say, if he were to stay on the top power play, maybe even if not, and also someone, like, worth reaching for in drafts next year? Like, are we looking at a 70-plus point guy now for the foreseeable future as long as he sticks with Dreisaitl, which seems like he will. It seems to be working well so far. Of course, you know, the counterpoint would be that Edmonton always has players that seem to be in really good spots, and then things change quickly, and they disappear. And then the related question is, if Yamamoto owners download this show tomorrow, see that Yamamoto lost that top power play spot should they be worried about a dip in production or is he still golden because he's sticking with ryan Nugent hopkins and dry settle at even strength most likely so yamamoto in this turn on the top power play it's two power play points in six games and i think that's good news all around to be honest because it means that first of all yamamoto did make something of his opportunity there. So he's made his case. Uh, of course, Shiesan has long been a favorite there with the Oilers setup, but Shiesan has also been mostly absent from the top unit this year himself. He's been on it for the last 11 games or so, but has been sort of rotating between on and off it for most of the year. So I feel like there's at least a little opening for Yams to stay up there. And then the second reason why I think is... Uh, modest power play performance while McDavid was out uh, could be a good thing is that it shows that Yamamoto wasn't depending on the top power play for his points. He had six others not on the power play in his last six games, which means that if he does lose his spot on the top power play, then he should still be fine. Uh, So also, I think I should probably mention this other thought I had, which is... uh, Yamamoto's even strength line was seeing more time on the ice with McDavid out of the lineup than they were seeing and likely will see with McDavid healthy. So that may scuttle a couple extra opportunities per night. So while we're excited about these six points in six games not on the power play for Yamamoto, we can safely bet that he's not going to get quite as many minutes or opportunities with a healthy McDavid in the lineup. But to answer your questions, Elon, you said, is Yamamoto's run for real? I think yeah-ish. I think as Scott Cullen said on last show, which was excellent, by the way, great job, Elon and Scott, uh, playing with Ryan Nugent Hopkins and Dreisaitl is a good enough reason to want to own anyone, and Yamamoto's probably at least a smidge above being just anyone. I also like that his shot counts have finally risen above one per game. Yamamoto has 23 shots now over his last 10 games, though again, be ready for less with McDavid back. So to me, Yamamoto certainly looks like someone worth being owned in cup full size leagues from now up until the end. And I think that answers your second question too about potentially losing his top power play deployment. If he does, doesn't bother me. Uh, he may also lose some shot volume, whatever. Yeah. I still like where he is and what he's capable of doing there. Okay. I mean, yeah, worth owning in a 14 team league is I guess some small measure of praise, but the dude's on a point per game pace through 20 games right now. Like when we 
project if we do the almanac again this summer and we're coming up with projections for every player do you see is this going to be a guy that we're going to put down a big fat seven zero on him because he's going to be in the top six and continue this amazing run like i was curious oh, like, how man. high are yeah, yeah you're saying he's worth owning in fantasy so okay check but like is he like a superstar or is he like kind of just someone that's on a good run right now I don't know he's a superstar, but I think he's got a lot of upside. Uh, he looks like someone who is hopefully not afraid to shoot the puck when given the opportunity. Now that, like, we were really concerned about him only having one shot on goal for something like eight games in a row or whatever it was. So I like to see that he's more involved. If he plays a full season with Dreisaitl and Nugent Hopkins, 70 might still be a little rich, but I could go 55, si- I could go 60 for him. Yeah, I mean, it's tough, like, because if Dreisaitl gets, like, 120, 130, like, that's a lot of points for other people to join in on. So, yeah, I I like him a lot. He's got high upside. I agree with you, Brian, that maybe you don't want to dive too far into him and, like, think he's, like, a point-per-game guy now just because it's been 20 good games, and we'll see what happens with McDavid back. And, like you said, his line getting less time and maybe him even getting bumped from the top power play, but hopefully he won't. It was a good point, Brian. Like, James Neal was on the top power play at the start of the season in that spot where, I guess, uh, Yamamoto, or Chieson is now, so maybe now Yamamoto can go there and McDavid could go to where Yamamoto's been and I don't know. It would be great. I added him in one of my leagues, so I'm very happy. It was actually the Kakuffle, and I want to say thank you to Robert, who destroyed me. Brian, if you recall, I lost my matchup against him while we were recording a show, and then someone posted on Facebook, I think it was Robert, posted on Facebook the picture of me from the live recording with my hands over my face in shock and disgust at having lost. Uh, but the reward was, afterwards, for some reason, he dropped Yamamoto and Shesterkin. And so th- these two players who helped beat me, now I have them on my team. So it all worked out. And now you're clearly really bored, so let's talk about some other defensive injuries aside from Oscar Clefbaum. Jacob Chikrin was a late scratch for Arizona on Thursday versus the Blues due to a lower body injury and the latest from yesterday was that Chikrin had an imaging report that revealed something quote-unquote definitely not great as per Coyotes coach Rick Tockett. So I don't like to hear that. Uh, Chikrin had been on a great run, including six shots in the game where he got injured versus Dallas. And now we just have to wait and see when he'll be healthy again. I'm guessing from this quote that it might not be too soon. So, uh, actually, Oliver ekman Larson had lost his top power play job for a bit. I, like, stopped paying attention to him at some point. But I guess I should mention Chikrin's out. OEL's back on the top power play for the last couple of games. And, hey, he even grabbed an assist yesterday. It was a 7-3 blowout win over Tampa. And ekman Larson got one measly assist. But maybe you have to take it as an OEL owner at this point. Uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm still not very into him. But if he's been dropped and you need a defenseman, I feel like you could probably do worse, right? Or if you were thinking of dropping him, maybe now you you hold on in a deeper league. Like, I don't love him, but at least he's back on the top power play, so that's something. I'll talk about OEL in a second, but first, let's just mourn Jacob Shikrin's opportunity just a bit. This was right after he got a sample. Like, I was ready to get behind him, as I said on our show a few weeks back, and Scott Collin on the last episode sounded interested in him, too. So it's a real bummer that we're not going to get to see this Shikrin thing play out if he doesn't return soon, which, uh, like you said, doesn't seem like it's imminent that Shikrin will return to the lineup. And then Ekman Larson, like you, Elon, I've stopped sort of looking at him, and you sort of summed it up as saying, uh, you could do worse than Oliver Ekman Larson. And I think that's about it. He's not so interesting to me. I would just caution anyone adding him who's like, oh my goodness, I've got Ekman Larson for free, top power play in Arizona. This is it. I'm going to hold him until he delivers for me. Don't do that. Just enjoy him for one or two games at a time for as long as he's producing. If he's not producing, swap him out quickly. Do not get too attached. Yeah, I like Jacob Slavin better for what it's worth. Uh, Me too, Eli. Oh, yeah. I'm even going to go there with you. Wow. Okay. Uh, But 
by the way, the Coyotes continue to kind of cycle through different players running hot and cold. I feel like every week it's a different Coyote forward that's on a good run. Like Connor Garland, Clayton Keller, and Derek Stepan had big games yesterday, while top line, top power play, Christian Dvorak and Nick Schmaltz were pretty quiet. So go figure. We try to, you know, turn this whole fantasy game into like a science. And I like to think that players playing with Taylor Hall are likely going to get more points than than the others. But what do we know, right? In a game-to-game sample, it's hard to predict. At this point, I feel like any of like Keller, Dvorak, Garland, like Phil Kessel, throw him in the group, maybe even Stepan. I feel like any of these guys could end up being the second highest scoring Coyote for the rest of the season after Taylor Hall. If you had to bet now, if they're all like available in free agency and you want to grab one Arizona Coyote, who would you pick? Oh boy. I mean, we all played this game at the start of the week, right? Because they had a a great schedule this week, four games, a couple off days. And uh, I tried to bid on Clayton Keller. He would have been my choice. I was outbid. So I ended up with Nick Schmaltz. uh, And my opponent, of course, had Connor Garland. So that hurt a lot. And Keller had a better week than Schmaltz, too. So really, I am very upset with everything happening in Arizona right now. Uh, You want me to pick one guy for the rest of the season? I will take Clayton Keller. Do you want to bet on it? Do you think someone else is going to do better? Can I take the field? Can you take Clayton Keller and I'll take the field? Oh, I don't know. I think that's a that, that I'm giving you too good a deal there. Okay, how about we do a draft? Okay? okay, so it'll be a snake draft. You take Keller, so now I get second and third pick. Okay, so I'm going to take Dvorak and I'm going to take Connor Garland. Okay, then I'll take uh, Schmaltz, and that leaves. Oh, do I, I get two? But that just leaves Derek Stepan. Well, you could take Phil Kessel. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> he plays there. Okay, I'll take Kessel. Okay, then I get Schmaltz then. No, I took Schmaltz. Oh, so I get Stepan. You're going to write this down, right? Or someone will keep track of this. All right, that's the bet. And so hopefully uh, one of my guys will end up. That just goes to show what a coin flip this is. I think I agree with you that Clayton Keller maybe has the most upside. Like He's the guy who Cam Robinson back in the day would say, we've got like a future, you know, triple digits player once he gets into form and hasn't happened yet. But looking good now, obviously I like it better for a player playing with Taylor Hall. But at the same time, Nick Schmaltz isn't crushing it there. So things could change. Maybe Garland gets back there. Maybe Keller plays with Hall at some point. Who knows, right? So... There you go. Maybe also Phil Kessel turns back into Phil Kessel, but I don't see that happening. For what it's worth, I agreed with your draft order. Like, I was looking at Dvorak and Garland Garland next. I might have taken Kessel before Garland, had I remembered he played for Arizona. Okay, and by the way, Darcy Camper is in Tucson, or he was in Tucson for a conditioning stint, and apparently he's been called up. Like, he's off the IR. Darcy Camper is healthy. He might play as soon as Tuesday. So... I don't know what's going to happen. Something to keep in mind, though, if you've been riding Ranta, if things go back to how they were at the start of the year, then Auntie Ranta's pretty much not fantasy relevant anymore, and Darcy Kemper could be a superstar the rest of the way. I don't know if that's going to happen, but that could happen, so be, be aware. Rough timing for Auntie Ranta, who finally seemed to just be finding his game after he floundered around in the brief opportunities he's had up until this point. In his last nine, his, his record actually isn't that good. 5-3-1, and one, that's very eh. But to go with that record in his last nine games, how about a 9.44 save percentage? Just 17 goals against in his last nine games. So uh, kind of shame on Arizona for not getting him more than five wins while averaging fewer than two goals against per game. Also, Six of Ranta's last nine starts have been 929 or higher. So way to catch fire, Auntie Ranta. And sorry that Darcy Kemper is likely just going to step right in anyway. 
Well, I don't know. Like, I mean, when you say that Ranta's been so good, like, why wouldn't Arizona just go 50-50? I think that was the plan going into the year until Ranta kind of struggled and Kemper was crazy. Like, obviously, we'll have to see how good Kemper looks. Like, he might be rusty. He might have some... Hopefully, he doesn't have lingering effects from this injury because it's taken him forever to heal from it. But... I don't know, could be 50-50, could be just bad for both of them. Like, the, the fact that Ronda's been good might just be bad for both goalies, fantasy-wise, but obviously good news for the Coyotes chasing that uh, playoff spot. Uh, so I promised some defenseman injuries, so I'm going to deliver. Thomas Shabbat was hurt yesterday in Ottawa's 3-0 loss to the Habs. Uh, without looking, I'll bet you can't even guess which defenseman had the most power play time for the Sens yesterday. Like, I'm talking to you and also to the listeners. Like, anyone who wants to try, who took over on the top power play for Ottawa yesterday with Thomas Shabbat out? Brian, you want to give it a try? Ron Hainsey? No? Okay, I'm glad you didn't look it up. That's more fun then. Ron Hainsey had 43 seconds of power play time. He was second highest. Can I keep guessing? Yeah, keep guessing. Nikita Zaitsev. No, he was third. He had 18 (laughs) seconds. But there's someone who had three minutes and 17 seconds. Christian Yaros. Nope, but you're doing a good job naming random Ottawa defense, which was going to be my next question. So that's uh, impressive. Mike Riley. Yes, Mike I got Riley. It. I got he it. Played, he played 26 minutes overall, three minutes and 17 on the power play. Of course, like he didn't get a point because Ottawa got shut out, uh, but he did take four shots and he had a block and he had a no hits, but I don't know. He was there and he took four <laughs> shots, like I said, and I don't know how long this lasts. Also, I saw that the Shabbat injury might not be serious, but also I don't see a reason for Ottawa to rush him back. So, I don't know. Uh, maybe you want to take a stream on Mike Riley, who, by the way, I think didn't start the season with Ottawa, right? He got traded from Montreal and he got his revenge. Well, I guess he didn't. Montreal saw that he I don't even know what I'm saying. All I'm saying is Mike Riley is a person that got top power play time yesterday. So fun fact, I don't think there's a fantasy implication here. Another big Ottawa defenseman injury is that Mark Borowiecki is out with his ankle injury. Still no timetable for when he'll return. And he doesn't do much offensively, though. He actually, I think, has more goals this year than he ever has. Uh, But obviously, all those hits, the people who have been depending on them have been missing them a lot. Very hard to replace Mark Borowiecki if you're in a bangers league. So uh, what do we do moving forward? I guess, is it Mike Riley probably? Or maybe does Ottawa call up Eric Brandstrom if Thomas Shabbat were to be seriously injured and then Brandstrom would be the guy to potentially have a decent role as the top offensive defenseman on the team? Even if it is Mike Riley, former Montreal Canadian Mike Riley, for anyone who is not familiar with him, like this guy does not have an offensive pedigree, right? He's just a guy uh, who the Habs needed uh, I guess to get out from a contract and Otto is willing to take it on. Uh, but in his career, 49 points in 195 NHL games this season, he's played 35 games between Montreal and Ottawa has just 12 points. So uh, this is not his destiny to quarterback a top power play unit. Uh, so he's not someone that I am rushing out to get. It'd be a great opportunity to see what Eric Brandstrom could do. If he could get a good turn at being the team's number one offensive defenseman, though, there's this uh, AHL playoff roster deadline about to happen and Belleville, the Belleville Senators are about to go on a playoff run. And so I don't know exactly how that affects what they choose to do with Brandstrom, but that might be a reason that he doesn't get involved. But there are people who know more about this than I do. I'm sure it'll all come clear in the next day or two. If Brandstrom does get up to the NHL, though, I would be very interested in him. If it's Riley, I'm not. 
Okay, yeah, that's fair. And again, like I said, it might not be a serious injury for Shabbat, so we'll wait and see what happens there. More defenseman injuries. Let's go to Anaheim. Cam Fowler will miss his third straight game for the Ducks tonight. They play at 10 p.m., and Cam Fowler will not be playing. Uh, so I wonder if people might want to take a look at Hampus Lindholm. Like, obviously, this is like a deeper cut here, but he's been getting looks on the top power play with Fowler out, and Lindholm took five shots in each of his last two games. So if you can get a defenseman who, you know, decent for peripherals, taking shots, now getting more ice time, potentially power play time. I know Anaheim doesn't score a lot, but uh, Hampus Lindholm uh, used to be someone we were into, right? We thought he was going to be like a decent fantasy player for us for like years to come. We thought Anaheim was like overflowing with great fantasy defensemen and like offensive defensemen and it hasn't worked out that way. But yeah, I think while Fowler's out, I'd be interested in taking a look at Hampus Lindholm. Do you remember like all the guys who've graduated from Anaheim that we thought, oh yeah, in the right situation, they could be at Sammy Vatnin, Hampus Lindholm, uh, Brandon Montour, Josh Manson's still there. The one guy who has panned out is Shea Theodore, who I don't think we ever, like he didn't even stay in Anaheim long enough to be held back by the team and be like, oh yeah, this guy could be really good if he went somewhere else. He just went somewhere else and was great. Uh, now it's Hampus Lindholm in Anaheim and uh yeah. Elon, what you said, 16 shots, nine blocks, and eight hits in his last four games. So a really good category filler there. And if Lindholm keeps taking five shots per game and converts at his usual 6%-ish rate, should get a goal every four games or so. So keep shooting Hampus Lindholm for as long as Cam Fowler is out, which we still have no idea about, right? We yeah. know he has a lower body injury and there's no timeline. Yeah, I don't really see many tweets about M. Fowler and this injury. It's been, I guess, pretty quiet lately. Uh, so yeah, we'll have to wait and see. Okay, so there's one player that before this past week, Lindholm could have maybe passed to to help get some points, but it's not going to be Andre Kasha moving forward because he's no longer with the team. He's been traded to the Boston Bruins. This happened on Friday in exchange for David Backus, Axel Anderson, and a first-round pick. Uh, hard to say how much the Bruins weighed, like getting Kasha versus dumping Backus. Like they gave a first-round pick, but I don't know if like the the cost of the pick was oh you're gonna take you know Bacchus and his salary oh please yeah we'll give you a pick for that or like I, I'd be curious to know like which thing to them was more valuable but either way they get Andre Kasha who's been out with illness recently but could potentially fit nicely into the Bruins top six right we've always been seeing a, a different players p- jumping in and out of playing on Krejci's wing and it would be great if Kasha could jump right in and secure that spot like he's had a disappointing season so far only 23 points in 49 games after he. He teased us with a couple really hot runs on the Ducks over the past couple of seasons, but they always got interrupted by long-term injuries. Like, Brian, you were super high on Andre Kasha on Twitter after the trade. I'm, like, a little more apprehensive to get excited about him, just since it's, like, it's been forever since a Krejci line mate on that second line had a significant breakout. Uh, so do you see a reason to expect more than, say, I don't know, like, 45, 50-point Jake DeBrusque or Charlie Coyle-esque pace from Kasha once he joins the Bruins? I assume you see him as having a good shot of taking that fourth forward power play spot something he's had trouble securing on the Ducks. Like, I'm just curious to know, like, what's your current take now that you've had a little bit of time to let it sink in? How valuable is Kasha now that he goes to Boston? I think he's pretty valuable, and here's why, because I can sense your skepticism. In fact, you told me straight up in our group chat that you didn't see why I was feeling this way, and you invoked certain other things that I was... Well, you mentioned P.K. Subban, and, like, I get I was wrong about that. I still feel like I could have been... Anyway, we're talking about Andre Kasha here, and the reason why I'm so excited about him is just based on what we saw in the last two seasons from him. Between 
2017 and 2019, uh, those two seasons, 17, 18, and 18, 19, where he was a sophomore 22-year-old, and then in his 23-year-old season, where he played 96 games combined, which, yes, wasn't a lot, and that's one of the problems with Andre Kasha, which we'll get to in a second, but in that span, in that two-year span before this season, Kasha ranked ninth in the NHL in five-on-five shots per 60 minutes, tucked right between two guys you might know, Vladimir Tarasenko and Nathan McKinnon. He also ranked 15th in five-on-five shot attempts per 60 minutes, and his expected goals were up there with the rest of the guys in that sphere. I also need to be fair when I'm cherry-picking names like Tarasenko and McKinnon. There are other dudes in this neighborhood of shot volume with similar nice numbers, but we aren't getting excited about names like Miles Wood, Craig Smith, Josh Anderson, Frank Vitrano, Nick Bugstad. But all the guys around them are totally elite players, and I think Kasha is different from that group I just named because he's at a stage in his career where he's just 24 years old, and he hasn't really had a great chance to be let loose for any length of time, some of that due to his own health concerns, which does worry me, and some of that due to his coach. And speaking of coach, I will say I don't like that. With a new coach in Anaheim this year in Dallas Akins, Kasha did not manage to do what he needed to earn high-end ice time and opportunities and was quite possibly considered expendable by Akins, who I would assume the general manager may have had a chat with about uh, before actually dealing Kasha away. But that's still not enough to dampen my hopes that Kasha could really be fantastic with a fresh start in a new situation. The way he's caught my eye in the last couple years is very much in the vein of the guys we've pumped up in the past who had great shot rates and underlying numbers, but not opportunity. Think Mantha, Meyer, Vrana, Bjorkstrand. These are the guys that I see Kasha putting up similar numbers to, but not yet having had the opportunity that all these guys eventually did get. Now, I suppose Boston doesn't necessarily offer that opportunity because Kasha is going to be on the second line or the third, but I'm hoping the second, unless the Bruins try to break up their top line again and spread out Pasta, Bergeron, and Marchand. But even if Kasha does end up on the second line, which is my hope, David Krejci is a really fantastic upgrade over Sam Steele. We always gush about Dave Krejci, right? He's one of the league's top assisters of the last decade. So I have high hopes for how he and a shooter like Kasha could do some wonderful things together. Of course, Kasha's upside is limited by being on the second line and maybe not getting to take DeBrusque's spot on the top power play. But I looked at what we'd hoped for from DeBrusque this year and last, and I think that's at least what we can hope for from Kasha, who I think has a little more shooting talent. So I'll say you asked if he's like a 45, 50 point guy like Jake DeBrusque. No, I don't think so. I think he's got upside above 60 points this year in his current situation. I think, I think he could get over 55 points. You mean his pace moving forward will be a 55-point pace? Yeah, which is so fantasy-relevant, right? You're not just going to find a 55-point player uh, sitting around on your waiver wire. Yeah, I mean, it obviously depends how deep your league is. But yeah, obviously, in the Kakupful, maybe Kasha's worth owning if he is you know, going to do what you say he's going to do. I guess we'll have to wait and see. I guess my main concern, which I don't know if this is fair, but like, I wonder if maybe all these injuries have just taken their toll. Like, what if the Kasha that we were excited about a couple years ago, like, doesn't exist anymore or needs like more time to heal? And maybe the reason why he's been getting reduced deployment in Anaheim is because he's like, just not that same guy. Like, he's aching or not playing, you know, but whatever. This is all just speculation. 
Boston. I'm very excited to see what he could do in Boston. Like, don't get me wrong. And 55-point pace, if he can do it, I'd be very happy for him, and I'd be happy to see it, and I think that would be great for the Bruins. And hey, if there was ever a time for the Bruins to, like, shake things up and maybe give a big role to someone different, it might be now, right? Because the Bruins got destroyed by the Canucks yesterday, so maybe they'll be like, okay, well, that didn't work. Let's try, now that we have Kasha, maybe let's put him on the top line. Let's put him on the top power play. So anything could happen, for sure. For sure. And I'm very open also to the fact, because this is the mistake I made about P.K. Subban. P.K. Subban was a lot older than the last time he'd been great, and he had been through a couple injuries. And so all I saw was a gap in opportunity for him, where he had a ton of opportunity, then he didn't, and now he was going to have it again. But I ignored all that had happened in between as well. With Kasha, there is that concern that whatever... However, he has been injured, and a lot of it has been concussion-based, uh, is somehow affecting his level of play. And man, if I was concussed a couple times, I would be very nervous to keep doing my thing in the NHL. Uh, so we'll see. And of course, the more concussions you have, the more susceptible you are to your next one. So we'll see exactly what he's able to offer. And it's a fair thought to say, hey, maybe this guy's career has been totally derailed by injury, which would be a shame. But I'm hopeful that this is just a a chance, like, he wasn't even getting a shot in Anaheim. So let's give him to a new team, someone who might believe in him differently, and go from there. Yeah, so if he's available in free agency, uh, he's probably better than some of the other guys we've mentioned on the show. You could always tweet at us or join our Facebook group and ask all of our friends. Uh, you know, I, I want to grab Kasha. Is there anyone you see on my roster that I can drop? We have a lot of questions like that on Facebook. That's actually my favorite type of question, actually, where someone, I, uh, both variants of it. I like it when someone has a player they want to add and then they like take a screenshot of their roster and then we get to decide who they should drop to add that player. And then I also like the version where they sort of want to drop someone and they show the free agents and then we get to decide if there's anyone in free agency that's better than the player that they're worried about so you know join ask questions like that and i feel like maybe we can help find a spot for kasha worth a stream especially now right because you can just stash him in your ir and then maybe you don't even have to bring him in your roster for his first game or two and we can see how things shake out there how his deployment looks uh so another injury uh, i guess we already talked about oliver bjorkstrand getting hurt but let's just lock this in he's got a sprained and fractured ankle and Ugh. is likely going to be out for the rest of the season very unlucky for him very unlucky for brian very unlucky for the columbus blue jackets uh, because they've already lost Seth Jones. Uh, Corpus has been out for a while. Cam Atkinson's been out. So a lot like Colorado. It's just like getting hit time and time again with these injuries. Unfortunately for the Blue Jackets, these injuries are starting to catch up with them. They've lost eight in a row now. Elvis Merzlikens has shown that he is, in fact, human after all. He's starting to not put up gems game in and game out. And, you know, this comes at an interesting time because news just came out today that Eunice Corposalo has been called up from his conditioning stint. And maybe we're at a point where Corposalo jumps back in as the starter because Merzlikens has been struggling or maybe it becomes 50-50. I know we've discussed this like every single show forever, but just like as Corposalo comes up, that's when Merzlikens struggles. So it makes it hard to believe that now Merz Lickens is the volume starting goalie moving forward. I wonder if another question, though, is maybe neither of them are worth owning. Like, with all these injuries, maybe Columbus is just, like, not going to be able to pull this together. And then maybe neither goalie, especially as a 50-50 tandem, are that exciting. So so what do you think right now, Brian? Like, What are your thoughts on the Columbus goaltending situation? Uh, if you have Merz Lickens and you have, like, an exciting option like a Francouz, like we discussed before, available for agency, to me, I think I'm ready to drop Merz Lickens if you have to make a snap decision without seeing any more information. Even like Merzlikens versus Nidjelkovic becomes an interesting question. Obviously, it'd be nice to wait until after the trade deadline at least to make that decision. But yeah, what do you think about the Blue Jackets moving forward? Do you think they have a chance to still be good and make whoever their goalie is valuable? I do. They're really good at protecting their net 
and uh, that shows in Merzlikens and Corpusalo's numbers, but they also deserve as good as they got. Uh, as you mentioned, Merzlikens has fallen on tough times lately since no longer being on my opponent's rosters and fantasy matchups. Merzlikens is 0-1-3 with an 869 save percentage in his last four games. And as you said, Elon, holy cow, is that the perfect timing for the re-entry of Corpusalo to the Blue Jackets lineup? It's almost a relief that Merzlikens is struggling a little here because if Merzlikens was playing well, be a lot more controversial about whether to get Corpusalo in there. But we all want to see what's going to happen with Corpusalo in there. So the way Merzlikens has been playing, uh, it's just a real good time to give him a break and let's see what Eunice has to offer. Let's also... Instead of just saying how awful Merzlikens has been, and we've been we've given him a lot of kudos, but now that the run is over, at least for now, uh, let's cut Elvis a little slack and talk about how much of a workhorse he has been. He has started 21 of Columbus's last 24 games and was only pulled in one of those starts. So he started and finished 20 of the last 24 in Columbus, and since December 31st, only Carey Price has played more minutes than Merzlikens, and he's only played 13 more minutes and made nine more saves than Merzlikens, who ranks second in both those categories since December 31st. And uh, somewhere where Merzlikens beats Price since December 31st is in save percentage in all situations. In fact, Merzlikens beats every single goalie in the NHL except Tuka Rask and Igor Shosturkin, uh, Merzlikens had 935 save percentage, which was a shade below Rask and a little bit more below Shosturkin. Uh, this is a guy, Merzlikens, who played just nine career NHL games and had an 889 save percentage before being thrown to the wolves to sink or swim in the Columbus crease. So great swimming from Elvis. The team in front of him, I don't think... Like, yeah, everyone's getting injured. That's not helping. But they don't seem to be in a nosedive or anything, which makes me still interested in whichever goaltender is playing for the Blue Jackets. In fact, I think this timeshare situation might just mean that they both become free agents and maybe they're both available to you to spot start when you hear they are getting a start. I wouldn't be afraid to play them. Okay, yeah, that's fair. I guess it's more like you hold the person depend on them for your fantasy playoffs or do you drop for one of these other exciting goalies out there? I would definitely drop either guy for Francouz. Nadelkovic, I I need to wait until after the deadline to decide. And then also, to hear more, we don't know that there's an extended timeline on Mrazek or Reimer, right? Right. Yeah, so there's a lot up in the air. There's a lot of interesting goalies. Like Some people are still tweeting at us asking about if they should add Shostyorkin, which is like, hello, McFly, like, yes, Add him, like, yesterday, of course. More than Toffoli at Shostyorkin. Uh, so that, that's some free advice. We have Shostyorkin coming a little later, but I just wanted to throw that out there now. Uh, since we're on Columbus, Brian, like, the problem is, like, everyone sucks right now. <laughs> like, uh, Nyquist, Dubois, they're ice cold. Like, there's really no one to be excited about. I can't think of anyone to recommend adding. Like, I guess you want to have Wierenski because, you know, for reasons, he's good. But no one else is exciting me right now. I guess the one piece of advice I could think of for the forwards is that maybe once Cam Atkinson is back, I'd assume now he gets that spot back on the top power play that Bjorkstrand had taken. Maybe if Atkinson's available in your free agency, now would be a good time to like stash him in your IR, and you hope that maybe he and Dubois can reclaim some of their magic from last year once he's healthy. Sure, give that a go. Uh, that's about all you can do, though. I mean, or maybe uh, go grab a Boone Jenner or Nick Foligno. I, I'm just kidding. Okay, yeah, you're right. Like, no, uh, hey, Columbus, by the way, plays Monday, Tuesday next week, so it'll be a nice chance to probably see Corpusalo and Merce Lickens both get a game. We'll be able to compare them right against each other. Uh, so let's switch to some good news now. Let's get to an out jury. Ryan Ellis is back for the Predators after missing almost two months with a concussion. So far, so good for Ryan Ellis. He's played 23-plus minutes in his two games back. He has an assist, six shots, two hits, and four blocks in these two games. Ryan Ellis, Brian, is on pace for a 
58-point season. If he had played the full season, he'd be on pace for 58 right now. He has 29 points in 41 games. Is this what we should expect moving forward? Because Ellis, I remember last year, like, you know, he's had a weird stretch of, of a few seasons, right? He, like, was rising and rising, was getting such high point paces. Then last year, when everyone had finally bought into him, he kind of tanked a little bit, was back down in the 40s. And now, once again, he's close to a 60-point pace. So what do you think about Ellis moving forward? Is he this good? Yeah, honestly, I feel like he is. I feel like Ryan Ellis is going to come really close to keeping up this near 60-point pace. The one place I could see Ellis regressing is in his on-ice shooting percentage, which is nearly 12%, but should probably be around 8 or 9%. Otherwise, though, Ellis looks good. This season looks a lot like the one from two years back, where Ellis paced for 60 points in 44 games, and he's once again doing it without consistent or substantial top power play time. So way to go, Ryan. Yeah, and Brian, obviously, uh, let's preemptively just nip this in the bud. Roman Yosi is pointless in four games, but he has 16 shots in that span. He's getting all the deployment at, like before. Like, he'll be fine. I can't imagine you'll disagree, right? I am not disagreeing. Let's nip it right in the bud. Okay, so don't come to us being like, should you be worried about Roman Yosi? You shouldn't. He'll be fine, though. Uh, do you feel the same about Philip Forsberg? Because he's been not great for, like, a lot longer. Like, basically the whole season. He had two assists yesterday, which was great, in the win over Columbus. That brought Forsberg to 41 points in 55 games. That's only a 61-point pace on the season. And if you recall, last season, Forsberg ended with a 64-point pace. And we thought of that as a disappointment. And we were saying, oh, yeah, he's probably going to bounce back closer to the near-point-per-game guy he was the year before. We definitely didn't expect him to get worse. And now he's, like, a, a few points behind his pace from last year. We've even already seen Forsberg being asked in terms of like drop questions like should i hold on to this guy we even actually saw him dropped in a couple division because of weak recent production though uh, we actually ended up reversing that but that's, that's a whole other story but uh yeah obviously forsberg is in the conversation of people that people are starting to get worried about brian do you think there's a chance that forsberg can turn things around and end the season strong even on this kind of weird preds team like yeah the preds aren't as good as we like hope they'd be but we can't ignore it. They're, they're only one point out of a playoff spot right so they're not like as terrible i think as we've been imagining them to be at least in my head i'm like oh the preds are terrible this year but no they they might make the playoffs and i'd imagine they're going to be leaning on philip forsberg to get them in so they're going to need him to get back to that near point per game guy that he used to be their on ice product certainly doesn't seem to be up to the standards that you'd expect from their on paper look but nashville is certainly in the playoff race no thanks to their power play and that's where philip forsberg is once again suffering our mistake in thinking forsberg was going to break out this year and and rebound after last year's down season was we thought hey the predators they have all off season to fix this disastrous power play and uh it's still bad and not only is that power play bad, but Forsberg is seeing a low IPP there too, which is just bad luck for him on top of the badness of the power play. Five on five, Philip Forsberg is fine, but on the power play, just for, for comparison's sake, in 2017-18, Philip Forsberg had 21 power play points at the 67 game mark. The next season, he had just 10 power play points at that mark, and this season, Forsberg is pacing to have only 13 power play points at the 67 game mark. And that's the big reason I know why he's not meeting our expectation and why I might still find myself very tempted to hope for another rebound season from Forsberg next year. Because how long can the Predators power play be this bad? 
Okay, that's fair. But Brian, can I please just ask you to instead say that you could have a rebound like to end this season? Because I could really use him going into my couple of playoffs here. I'm going for tier one Sweden ultimate champion. I need all my, you know, machines working at full capacity. And that includes like a 75 point Philip Forsberg. Okay, that's all these players are to Elon, just machines. Yeah, yeah, for the most part. And one player who was a, such a valuable machine to me in his previous spot, in his previous location, was Blake Coleman, but he got shipped to a new location, and I'm not liking it. I want him to be sent back. He's now on the Tampa Bay Lightning. Ben and Lewis talked about him on a Short Shifts podcast. I believe Ben said give him at least three games before deciding if you're going to drop him. I don't know. I'm starting to get a bit of an itchy trigger finger here. He's He's been playing with Killorn and Sorelli. At least that's who he played with yesterday. No power play time. If you recall, Coleman was on the top power play on New Jersey. Now he doesn't get any time while on Tampa. He has no points but five shots and five hits in his two games versus Vegas and Arizona. Is it time for Blake Coleman owners to start considering letting him go now that he's no longer in that higher end role that he fell into in New Jersey? Like it looks like looks like his ice time has taken a huge dip and can't imagine that will be beneficial to him if we want him to get back to those shot and even point totals that he was putting up on the Devils. It's kind of cute that Killorn, Coleman, and Sorelli, too, are all playing together as these fantasy waiver wire MVPs this season. But, uh, I mean, it's cute, but it's not exciting for Blake Coleman because I don't think the move for, to Tampa is going to do him a whole lot of good. In Tampa so far, he's playing about 15 and a half minutes a night, which is about a three-minute drop from his average time on ice as a devil in the last couple months. And with that drop in time on ice, Coleman is obviously going to lose opportunities to take shots and score goals. And this is uh, the nature of the trade deadline beast, right? It's a bummer to see an asset lose value. I wonder if anyone was clever enough to anticipate it and brave enough to sell high on Blake Coleman before he was dealt trying to read the tea leaves. Let us know if you did at Keeping Carlson on Twitter. That said, uh, going back to what to expect from Coleman the rest of the year, we see guys like Palat, Sorelli, Kaloran, Tyler Johnson, Matthew Joseph, Cedric Paquette, Yanni Gord, on and on. All these guys get opportunities every now and then to make impacts in the Tampa top six. Have to think Coleman gets a turn there at some point, maybe. And for that reason, it's still worth a stream like any of those other Tampa guys often are. It's a very horizontal landscape beyond the big guys. And then I'd probably have Sorelli up above the pack, but I think Coleman sort of melts into the pack now. I just hope uh, that Coleman, if he does get the opportunity, can deliver because a lot of the pack has not when given the opportunity. Yeah, I mean, hey, he has five shots in these two games. If one of those had gone in, maybe we'd be having a different conversation right now. We'd be like, all right, Blake Coleman's just fine. So obviously it's a small sample size here. If he could, But with the ice time being down, that's my biggest concern. That's going to be a lot harder for him to produce and like the no power play time. Though one thing I'll say, just like I said with the Bruins, uh, like Tampa just got crushed, right? They got destroyed by the Coyotes, which is very embarrassing for them. So I'm going to be, I have Coleman in one league and I'm going to be holding on and waiting to see if maybe Tampa shakes up the Lions because you never know maybe after a tough loss uh, like the gold standard here would be that they split up Kucherov and Stamkos and maybe Coleman gets to play with one of them and then that's a whole other story right so that's what I'm hoping for but I would be ready to drop Coleman soon if uh, nothing changes over the next game or two. Uh, Meanwhile, Coleman's former team, the New Jersey Devils, somehow keep on doing well, even though they keep trading their big-minute players. Gotta give huge props to Mackenzie Blackwood, who stopped 33 of 35 in the 3-2 win over the Caps yesterday. What a huge unexpected win, and what a run Mackenzie Blackwood is on right now. His 943 save percentage yesterday, that was his worst save percentage in his last six starts. That was like, oh, you really stunk up the place with your 943, Mackenzie. Like, he started, by the way, this run with two shutouts, 
shutouts, which we talked about on the show, and he's just continued to be fantastic. Like, no doubt right now, like, Blackwood is dialed in, should be owned all over. I'll be curious to see how high we rank him in next year's Schmore Goliesborg. Like, maybe he's going to be one of those goalies that's good enough to overcome not being on the best team. Like, it reminds me kind of of his teammate, Corey Schneider, right? I feel like when we used to do Schmore Goliesborg, we'd, like, the top few tiers would be the goalies on great teams, but then we'd still throw Schneider in because even though the Devils weren't great, we knew he'd give such great numbers that it would be worth it. Blackwood, obviously, small sample size, but he did this again last year as well. I think this guy is for real. As much as you could think any goalie is for for real. I feel like, you know, if you were comparing Blackwood to someone like a Bobrovsky, or I don't know, maybe a Frederick Anderson, like, I don't know, like, it would be tough to not be tempted to go with Blackwood right now for the rest of the season. It is tough to ignore what Blackwood's been doing. He's made it impossible, actually. He's been unreal, especially on a team that since January has been one of the absolute worst at protecting their net at 5-on-5 in Jersey. I have no idea, though, if we can call Blackwood for real, uh, and also no idea if you're going to want the New Jersey goalie next year. I, I don't know, Elon, if he's a guy who, regardless of team quality, is someone you want to try. In fact, I feel like we were having this exact same conversation last season around this time when he came in hot, had some really impressive starts. And it was around this time that the reins got turned over to Corey Schneider, where he went on that big run that made uh, several people think that he could have a, a great year this year. But now we know Blackwood is the devil's goalie for the future and we just don't know exactly what that means still so if you're looking for the rest of the season i guess you should still be a little scared when you're starting him uh, but also be hopeful that the magic is going to come it's a risk reward sort of situation and i'm not sure what we've seen from him in the last 15 or 20 games or however many games it's been uh, is a guarantee that we're going to keep seeing the same stuff the rest of the way it'll be really interesting to see what else happens in new jersey with the trade deadline too their team rumored to be selling off a lot so that could hurt blackwood and i'm not sure he's like a superhuman goalie who can put the whole team on his back especially if they're not protecting their net very well which they aren't so uh buyer beware with Mackenzie blackwood yeah i mean like everything you're saying makes perfect sense i think we've just had a good example that we talked about right it looked like elvis merzlikens was superhuman and he was going to just get uh, gems of games like day in day out like letting in only one or two goals and now like it's kind of caught up to him he's played a lot of games in a row and now all of a sudden merzlikens is kind of blowing up every once in a while like not totally blowing up but you know not having great games and that could totally happen to blackwood because i do think he's in a good spot like i do feel like he is the start like you said he's the future like he's the present like he's their goalie and i think he's going to play as much as merzlikens has been playing over the past couple of months but like we saw with merzlikens uh you know it could happen that someone who's really hot for a stretch can quickly cool off and blackwood is definitely not immune especially on this new jersey team so i'd still like him i would still add him for sure and i would maybe what do you think if you had bobrovsky and Blackwood's out there. I feel like if you're in the type of league where Blackwood is a free agent, that's a pretty shallow league anyways, where there's always going to be some goldie out there. So I don't know. Maybe I'm okay to drop Bobrovsky while he's struggling. I guess uh, that's a pretty bold move. I still think Florida is a better team than the Devils. But nothing makes sense with these goalies this year, right? Blackwood is doing incredibly well at a time when he shouldn't be. And Bobrovsky is doing incredibly poorly at a time where he shouldn't be. So, yeah. I, I mean, this is we've got a small sample the rest of the way. Go ahead. do the, Make the switch if you're ready to make the switch. I really can't advise one way or the other though like this yeah, is that's just something fair. you've got to judge your own comfort level on because if i if i gave you advice it would be pretending i had any great insight to offer which i don't 
Yeah, I guess just the sad the sad thing to me is to lose. Like, let's say you're fighting for a playoff spot right now or you're fighting for a buy or whatever. You have a goalie in free agency who's giving you great games, game in, game out, or not giving to you. He's giving nobody these great games, game in, game out. And to just sit there and let those just go unclaimed and then you lose out on your matchups. And you're like, oh, all I had to do was add this goalie who had two straight shutouts and now has a 943 save percentage or higher in his past six games. I feel like I would beat myself up a lot more for missing out on that and losing for that reason than for having dropped like a goalie who's been pretty much bad all season and then he like happened to get hot i feel like i'd rather lose the way of adding blackwood so for whatever that's worth but i don't know if we need to start giving advice on like the psychology of which way is better to lose so since we're on hot goalies let's take a minute or two to drool over igor shistyorkin which i guess we already have a little bit he got all three games for the rangers last week including the back-to-back versus carolina and the sharks on friday and saturday so just like pavel francis it was like this is the new volume guy i guess on the rangers which is even more crazy for Shostyorkin because they have two other goalies. They have Lundqvist and they have Georgiev. And yet Shostyorkin got both games at the back-to-back and it worked. He won those games. He's now 9-1 on the season. He has a 940 save percentage. The Rangers are now within four points of a playoff spot with like a decent chunk of games to go. Uh, so forget Nijelkovic, right? Like Shostyorkin is definitely going to be or has a chance to be the Binnington of the season. Like honestly, with the way he's playing, along with Panarin and company making plenty of noise offensively, it's not just the Rangers are having trouble scoring. Uh, maybe this hot run can continue. It seems like Shostyorkin just doesn't know how to lose. It seems like Panarin doesn't know how to not get points. I don't know, like Brian, like call me crazy. I think the Rangers are are going to get in the playoffs, and I think that the only way they'll do it is if Quinn keeps playing Shostyorkin. I think he's realized this, and I think that this is great. It's great news all around. Here's a little secret about the Rangers. Even with goaltending aside. They've actually been getting better and better since about January. Specifically, the Rangers have really begun locking it down on D. Not to be the best team in the league since then or anything, but better than league average. And actually, over the last five games, the Rangers have been about as good as any other team in the league at protecting their net at five on five. So you take that, and then you add in this insane out-of-this-world goaltending from Shostyorkin, and it's pretty exciting what's happening in New York. It still feels like the Rangers can't actually be deep enough at forward or defense to really make a run. Can they? But I bet David Quinn is starting to feel vindicated because uh, he took a lot of heat as the Rangers coach so far. And honestly, it seemed like for good reason. He was really having a ball blending the lines for a while. And now he's got a goalie that's really uh, being the backbone of this team. But the team is doing work for the goalie too, which is what I'm trying to point out here. And what I'm really interested in seeing now is whether Shesterkin can become a volume starter. You seem to think he can, Elon, but consider that no Rangers goalie has started and finished more than three games in a row this season. Georgiev started four in a row back in October, but he was pulled in the first game of that run, so it doesn't count. Shesterkin has now started and finished three games in a row. If he gets the next start, then look out. You've got to think that's the signal that the net is his. <laughs> Brian, come on. <laughs> the signal, he got a back-to-back. Like, he not only did he start and finish three games in a row, he won those games. There's no chance, unless he's hurt, that he doesn't play on Tuesday versus the yeah, Islanders. You're right. 100%. That's silly. I, I I take it all back. Shostyorkin is definitely... It's just hard to imagine how, when there are three capable goalies how they're just going to go with one and what they're going to do with the other two. Maybe we'll get clarity about that on Monday, but it just seems weird to think... If you were the coach, what would you do? Do you play the goalie that wins every single time he plays (laughs) when you're on a playoff run, or do you play Henrik Lundqvist? Yeah, that's the goalie I'd play. (laughs) Yeah. Okay, so on the flip side... 
I don't want to be like an I told you so kind of guy. And like, I, we'll see how this all shakes out. But Brian, we caught a little heat for ranking big save David Riddick kind of low in our goalie rankings when we did that episode where we ranked all the goalies around the all-star break. And I'm looking at you, uh, Fantasy Hockey subreddit. Uh, someone posted being like, wow, you guys have uh, Riddick way too low. And then that person like got a ton of upvotes. Then I like commented kind of being like, well, you know, Talbot's been playing like just as good. And like he's starting to get more starts. I got downvotes, Brian. I got some hate, but that's okay. I love it. Reddit's a fun place, and we always thank Fantasy Hockey, or Reddit's uh, slash r slash Fantasy Hockey for helping launch us back when we started five, six years ago. All that said, I don't know, for anyone who's held on to Riddick for the past couple of weeks, they've gotten two of Calgary's games since February 12th, not including today, and he's gotten four goals in each of those games, so it's been really tough holding David Riddick right now. That said, uh, it's not like Cam Talbot has been great with the extra opportunity he's been getting. So sure, maybe Riddick still has a chance to get more starts than Talbot for the rest of the season. And looks like Riddick is having a good game today against Detroit two periods in. But like, who doesn't have good games against Detroit except for Carey Price? That was really annoying, but let's not get into that. Anyway... All I'm saying is I'd be nervous holding Riddick going into my fantasy playoffs. And we've talked about some goalies, including like Crawford and Leonard who might get moved. Uh, Nedeljkovic. Like, I don't know. I feel like I'd rather have most of these guys over Riddick right now. I don't have much faith in him. And I wouldn't want to be depending. I wouldn't want my fantasy season depending on David Riddick getting a lot of starts and playing well. I've been banging this drum longer than you, I think. So if anyone on Reddit Fantasy Hockey wants to come for me, they can. But also, I also uh, appreciate them too. Thanks everyone for listening uh but you know what's funny about big save dave is that he needs to work more on his little saves he's been one of the worst goalies in the league this year and stopping low danger shots at five on five and beyond that riddick is only mid-pack in making big saves or or just below mid-pack even so big save dave riddick uh should just be dave riddick because he has not done anything to earn that nickname, aside from if you actually watch the games and get excited by those big saves and big moments that he's made. But on the whole, uh, he's not quite doing it. And to be honest, for Calgary, as a team that's had some very recent goaltending-related heartbreak, it just feels like they're not yet feeling like there's a lesson to be learned here. Uh, as a fantasy owner, he's not so... I've had the opportunity to get him both for free and in trades, and I've passed on him every time. I, I played that game last year with Riddick. I lost my taste for him, and I haven't missed out on anything by not going back to the well, the Riddick well this time. Yeah, I feel like Calgary, who's still in the playoff hunt here, maybe they should be one of these teams trying to go after uh, Robin Leonard, but I don't think they will, but maybe they should. It's not, it's not going to be their year. I don't think so. Maybe someone will play this clip back when they're celebrating a cup win in August in Calgary or July, but uh, I, don't, I don't see it happening. Uh, anyway, uh, let's jump to Chicago now. We've already been sort of speculating on some things. So we've talked about how pending unrestricted free agent Robin Leonard could get traded. Like, it looks like Blackhawks are falling out of the playoff race, so it makes sense that they could start selling these pending UFAs. Uh, and by the way, Corey Crawford, eight quality starts in his last eight games. I'd definitely be jumping on him the minute Leonard is on the move right like Crawford's been great and if he could become a guy that doesn't just play every second game he's someone I'd probably want on my fantasy team and in a similar vein Eric Gustafsson is a pending unrestricted free agent he could be traded by the time you're listening to this and like for a while Chicago was going with you know Adam Boakvist and Kirby Doc on the top power play that seems kind of over I think they're done uh, giving these trial runs to the rookies at least for now so I would start getting interested in a Duncan Keith because it looks like he's back on the top power play in Chicago this is again if Gustafsson gets traded and he's 
been kept out of a couple of games in anticipation of probably getting traded. And Keith, uh, two assists on Friday versus Nashville, including one on the power play. Another power play assist today versus Dallas. Uh, so yeah, he's probably available in a lot of leagues. And I'd be looking to add both Keith and Crawford if their respective competition is shipped out. Crawford already interests me in a timeshare with Laner, who he has actually been outplaying recently. So go ahead and look at Crawford if a start every two games is worth it for you. And then Duncan Keith, I've contended for a few months now that he has shown the highest aptitude this season in Chicago for the role of their power play quarterback. Now, is that worth a ton with the way the power play has struggled? Perhaps not, but it does bump him right up to the top of the free agent list for players to stream in for spot starts. And let's also uh, take a look at the top power play in Chicago and see that Alex Dabrinkit has made his return to the top unit, which means Kirby Dock is no longer there. So maybe that does help the whole unit get jump-started and Duncan Keith gets to be part of that. Yeah, Debrinkit is there, and so is Dominic Kubalik, who is hot again. He jumped back on the top power play, like we said, with Debrinkit, Kane, Taves, and Keith, and he scored a power play goal today. I'd consider him back at very close to must-own status at this point. Like He was probably dropped at some point after going cold a couple weeks ago. To me, I, I guess I won't say exactly what I said about Toffoli, but I think we're close to your league is approaching a clown league if Kubalik is available, because this is a guy I would definitely want on my roster, especially while he's on the top power play in Chicago and on this nice run again. So I know he looks really good, and we've endorsed him in the past, and he probably should be owed. He's scored four times, though, on his last 11 shots on this current run, which is very similar to the way that Kubalik went on his last run, but he still should be owned. Like, I'm just saying this. I'm not saying so. Don't own him. Still own him for as long as he's streaking and tossing two or three shots on net per game. I don't know that this is, uh, I mean, this is not the clip that Kubalik is going to keep uh, producing at in a sustainable way, but Kubalik still seems like a player, and he's in a really good spot on the Chicago depth chart, and I don't think he's just anyone. I think he he's a quality top six guy, so absolutely own him. Yeah, he's playing on a line with Jonathan Taves at even strength, Taves, Kubalik, Kajula, then like I said, top power play. So great deployment, he's doing well. I'm sure that you could find a spot for him. But again, post it on our Facebook group. Let us know who's available. Brian, if we were comparing, like, let's say, Kasha and Kubalik in free agency, I'm grabbing Kubalik. Who are you grabbing? I'm going Ko. That's a really hard one. I think I would probably go Kubalik, just because I know he's on the top power play. But if Kasha gets equal deployment to Kubalik, I would prefer Kasha. Interesting. Okay. Well, we'll see. I still might go Kubalik in that case, but uh, that will be fun. If we want to put that down, well, I guess we can't bet border because it's too many ifs. But okay, let's end the show with a couple of cold streaks now. The St. Louis Blues have changed up their lines recently. They've moved Ryan O'Reilly to play with Shen and Schwartz on the top line, leaving poor David Perron to fend for himself with Zach Sanford and Robert Thomas on the second line. And while the Blues likely aren't complaining, like they had that big win over Dallas on Friday, and they're winning right now after two periods, three to one over Minnesota today, uh, but I'm getting a little worried about Perron. His, he scored on Friday, but that was his first point in four games. He only saw 12 minutes and 45 seconds of ice time in that game. Perron so far, like I said, Blues are winning 3-1. to one. Again, another pointless game for him. He had that amazing start to the year, but I think a big part of it was playing with Ryan O'Reilly, who's really good, and he was also getting like really big minutes, which seemed to maybe be decreasing. So, Brian, what do you think? Like, should we be expecting this Perron slump to continue for as long as he's being centered by Robert Thomas instead of Ryan O'Reilly? 
And yeah, like I'm almost wondering now, like I actually own Vladimir Tarasenko in the couple. I have him on my IR. Do I just need to pray that Tank gets back in time for the fantasy playoffs so that he could go and play with Shannon Schwartz and then Perron could get Ryan O'Reilly back and then I could cruise to a championship because I just got two huge studs back and ready to work for me? Uh, Because right now, yeah, like I said, I'm really worried that Perron is not going to break out of this unless he gets O'Reilly back. Piran owners do need to be worried that he has to fend for himself right now with Robert Thomas and Zach Sanford, neither of whom has proven any sort of play driving ability. So the question is, is Piran uh, someone who can uh, still carry on and continue making meaningful production without much help? And I looked at his big season in Vegas to try and think about it, where he was fantastic with James Neal and Eric Haula. But before that, in Pittsburgh and Anaheim, uh, he was unsuccessful and also was Eric Hall? Eric Hall was probably actually good that year, maybe better than uh, Thomas or Sanford is. James Neal, you can give or take, but I think he still had at least a shot to offer, which uh, these other two guys don't. So obviously, Perron is going to take some kind of hit not playing with Ryan O'Reilly. I'm hoping that uh, like I'm hoping that the Blues just put things back the way they were. Right? We've seen lines in St. Louis abruptly shifted and then shifted back already this season. Remember when Schwartz and Shen were separated for like three shifts? So that's all I'm thinking is going to happen with Perron. If he does stay away from O'Reilly, uh, you need to be worried. But what can you do about it? Yeah, I mean, the thing is, the Blues lost five games in a row, and then they made this change, or around that time they made the change, and now they've won three in a row, and it's looking like they're going to win their fourth in a row today, which concerns me, because why would they change it if it's working and they're winning games? So, yeah, we might be at a point I'm not dropping him, because like I said, rumor is Tarasenko, well, it's not a rumor, right? He's skating, he's practicing, so who knows when he'll be back or if he'll be back, but that would probably help David Perron, and I'm just waiting for that. But if I'm in like a busy Saturday, and I'm trying to choose on a player to sit... At this point, I might sit David Perron over some other players who normally would be unthinkable. But if Perron's playing with these two two, two schlubs like they've been lately, then what, what do I need him for? And by the way, I should say that Zach Sanford, who was looking good for stretches because he was playing with Perron and Ryan O'Reilly, he also gets downgraded because he loses ROR and he's pointless in four. After that huge week, he had that four-goal game, then a one-goal in the next game, and then after that, he's done nothing. Looks like Sanford is pointless again today, so... He's probably droppable. You're probably snoozing if you're still holding on to Zach Sanford. You're not snoozing if you're holding Perron. But uh, yeah, get rid of Sanford because no value until O'Reilly goes back to that line, right? Sanford is definitely less of a stream on this new second line. So yeah, you can lose him. Still maybe worth a spot start, but maybe lower down on the list compared to whoever else is available in free agency. Yeah, he doesn't interest me for what it's worth. I guess if you need hits and it's a categories league where he's just going to like literally just fill hits for you and help you win that category, then maybe. But even in a points league where there's moderate number of points for hits, I don't think he's worth it because I don't think he's going to get a point. I, I don't know. I feel like uh, O'Reilly is a big part of that uh, based on what I've seen. Okay, so let's end the show here in Toronto. Uh, like I said, people are freaking out. They weren't able to win against David Ayers. Now the Leafs sit just two points ahead of the Panthers for third in the Atlantic. They're behind the Islanders and Carolina and Columbus for the wild cards. They kind of the way things are looking now they need to get that third spot in the Atlantic to make the playoffs Uh, fantasy wise Frederick Anderson owners are learning the hard way why you don't want to spend a high draft pick on a goalie this is something Andre Vasilevsky owners 
kind of learned at the start of the season when he was struggling. Then it looked like maybe it was worth it until yesterday's game for Vass. But now it's Anderson's turn to be the goalie that everyone reached for because he thought, like, you can't get a more solid option than Anderson. And now people are freaking out, wondering if they should drop him. Like, he got trounced by the Hurricanes yesterday, letting six goals on 47 shots. He's had a weird week, right? He also got trounced by the Penguins on Tuesday, but he shut out the Penguins on Thursday uh, meanwhile, Jack Campbell hasn't played this week, but he looked great in the games that he played while Anderson was hurt. If you recall, Ben and Lewis talked about Campbell being worth a hard look in that infamous Tuesday short shifts episode that had the Leafs uh, section mysteriously cut out initially. But now you could actually go back and listen to the full version, which includes them talking up Jack Campbell. And at one point, Ben was saying, well, it's probably good that that part got cut out by mistake because then Anderson ended up getting that start on Thursday, which we weren't expecting. Uh, now I think it applies again. Like, sure. Maybe Sheldon Keefe goes back to the Anderson well in the next game, but the Leafs are fighting for their lives, and Campbell was doing just fine, and Anderson sure doesn't look great right now. Obviously, it's not only him. Like, it's, like Normally, you don't want to be letting in 47 shots, but if I was a Frederick Anderson owner, I'd be worried. Not much you can do about it. I wouldn't necessarily drop him, but I'd be worried. Similar to David Perron, I guess. Similar to David Perron in that, well... I guess Anderson has a challenger, right? It's not like Perron where he's waiting for someone to come back to help him. But Anderson has been inconsistent all season long. There's no guarantee Jack Campbell is better. If I'm the Maple Leafs and I'm trying to decide who to start night to night, I'd rather get my number one guy on his game by continuing to give him starts. So long as he only blows up once in a while, but... Of course, time is of the essence. The Leafs are falling out of the playoff race. The leash is definitely shortening on Anderson. If Campbell does get a look and plays well, I could see Toronto just running with him as long as he can hold up. I could see this turning into just a hot hand situation where the Leafs might be hoping Anderson is the one who gets the hot hand, but really don't have the luxury of waiting for him to get it. There are also bigger problems in Toronto defensively for both these goalies to handle when they do get starts. So be mindful of that when you are playing them. What a weird year that we're saying this about be careful about starting the Toronto goalie but also why don't you go grab Mackenzie Blackwood and just start <laughs> him until you can't yeah that's how goalies have gone and yeah it's weird because Toronto you know they got Tyson Barry we thought oh look at them they filled a real need and now they're still not too great defensively obviously it doesn't help that Morgan Riley is injured and I've been seeing some rumors Brian you were mentioning to me today that there was a rumor of Barry potentially getting traded to the Vancouver Canucks do you think that could happen why would the Leafs trade someone while they're in the middle of a playoff run though obviously he is a pending unrestricted free agent is it worth speculating at all about this I don't know that it is. I mean, we don't like to speculate on trades that haven't happened, even though I was the one who told you about this rumor before we recorded. Uh, I guess the only thing to think about is who's going to run the top power play if Barry isn't around. Uh, of course, you've got Sandine as an option, Muzzin as an option, and then Morgan Riley, if and when he's healthy, as an option. Uh, but let's 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 leave that to Ben and Lewis to, to chat about if Barry does get traded, and then we'll take it on next week. Do you have any quick thoughts you want to give? No, I, th- I think you nailed it. Yeah, you'd probably want to look at that defenseman. I wonder what that would mean for Quinn Hughes in Vancouver, though I can't imagine Hughes gets bumped at this point. So uh, let's just not talk about that. Uh, we did have a question. One of our patrons was asking if he should be worried about Mitch Marner. Like that's, I think that's another one, just like Roman Yosi from before. Right? Like, yeah, Marner has only one assist in his last three games, only four points in his last eight, but... It's got to just be a blip, right? He'll, he'll, be, he'll be fine. He's a superstar. 
Yeah, this is a blip. You look at the Leafs goal scorers lately. You got Matthews, Nylander, Muzzin, Hyman. Uh, not a whole lot of Marner. Not a ton of Tavares either. But I think they'll both get back in the game pretty soon. So what can you do? Don't be worried, except for the fact that I own Mitch Marner. So maybe be concerned for that reason. Because I just seem to be a huge fantasy jinx this week. As you can tell, I'm kind of down about it. I'm fighting for my life in the couple, and it does not feel good. Uh, so wish me luck. I'm actually playing Lewis this week. And if I win, I'm in the playoffs. And if I lose, I'm in the consolation bracket. Oh, wow. That's going to be so exciting. So, Lewis, definitely please, on the Short Shifts episode this week, give us updates on how it's going in your matchup versus Brian. Brian, who should I cheer for? I'll cheer for you. <laughs> As if you had to ask. I like Lewis, but I like you too. Okay. No, obviously I'm cheering for you. Uh, Lewis, just a message privately. Okay, this has been a, such a fun show. Welcome back, Brian. You you fit right in. It's like you didn't miss any time. You only missed a week, okay? Maybe I'm giving you too much credit here. <laughs> Amazing job. This was a lot of fun. Hopefully not too much of what we said is out of date by the time the listeners have gotten a chance to take this all in. Uh, but yeah, I hope you like the show. Uh, thanks for listening. Thanks for sticking with us all season. Anyone who's made it this far in the episode. Uh, if you want to give us any feedback, we'd love to hear it. We'd love to hear from you. Not only your fantasy questions, which we take on Twitter at Keeping Carlson. We'd also love any feedback. Uh, we always love to recommend that you could sign up to be a patron of Keeping Carlson. You might think, eh, it's kind of too late right now, right? It's the end of the season. Maybe next year. No, I feel like, I don't know, if I may throw it out there... Maybe now's a good time to sign up because you don't have to pay your $5 a month, which we very much appreciate, like, all season long. Just sign up for a couple of months. Get that help in your fantasy playoffs from all of our smart patrons over in our Facebook group. Get our patron cast that we'll do where Brian and I will answer your questions, all the other perks. Grab it for a couple of months, then you could reassess. So if you're interested in signing up and giving our patron community a try, which I would highly recommend, keepingcarlson.com slash patron. But uh, with that, Brian, I think that's all I got. So I'm good to cue that outro music. And why don't you go ahead and read us the credits? All right. This episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast was presented by Dabra Hockey and powered by our patrons, including our newest ones, Mike, Jay, and Patrick. Welcome and thank you so much. Logo art by Brandon Weeb. Outro music by Pat Roach. This episode was researched with help from Dauber Hockey, Frozen Pool, Dauber Prospects, Natural Stat Trick, Evolving Hockey, Cap Friendly, Charting Hockey, HockeyGoalies.org, Hockey Reference, Hockey Viz, Hockey Database, Elite Prospects, Roto World, and Yahoo. Great job, as always, Brian, and I'm looking forward to the Short Shifts episodes from Ben and Lewis this week, where they'll break down any more trades, and then we will do this all again next Sunday. going to be a lot of fun. I'm sure there's going to be a lot of new things to talk about. Until then, keep on keeping Carl Sun.